welcome to the Deadology Podcast from Pencil Hill Studio, New Paltz, New York. I'm your host, Howard Weiner. Today is January 16, 2024, and this is Episode 3 of Season 2. Today, we're going to do another Underrated Gems. Uh, This will be Underrated Gems Volume 3. We're going to go to the Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles, Uh, For two shows, October 15th, 1976, and January 11th, 1978, those will be the underrated gems we're going to take a look at. And last week, we had a a great time. My my good longtime friend, Doug Schmel, was on the show. He was a Grateful Dead taper, and he had such enthusiasm for for the Grateful Dead. Uh, it came through on the uh, podcast. I uh, got such great feedback from people on that. So thanks, Doug. We're going to bring you back for a future episode, probably Europe 72. And um, I got a request from one of Doug's friends who I we toured with back in the day from Albany, Andy Trister. He suggested we do Augusta 84. And that was going to be the uh, the topic this week. But then on the anniversary date of January 11th, 1978, I listened to that Shrine show, and I said, that's the embodiment of an underrated gem. So Augusta 84 will be next week. Uh, we're going to do the Shrine show. And also, I'm going to get back to the Album of the Week feature, uh, which I abandoned the last two weeks. Um, album of the Week this week will be a Miles Davis tribute album. So, yeah, I'm listening to to this January 11th show. And for me, it's always the St. Stephen from that show is is my favorite. And I, I've looked at Dead Bass, and there's not one vote for that St. Stephen as a, as a best ever version. It's obviously a great version. And then the whole show, there's only two votes for, you know, for 1978 for the January 11th Shrine show. And um, yeah, just... I'm, I'm figuring that probably at the time this dead base poll took place, not too many people had the tape or um, for whatever reason, it's very undervalued and underrated. So uh, I'm going to jump in, jump into that show um, from the 1978. Obviously, Red Rocks came in number one and nobody could deny that. That's uh, one of the all time great shows and that deserves to be number one. But all by itself. January 11th, 1978 was at the bottom of the list with a couple other shows with just two votes. And it's crazy because it's such a great show. Um, But while I was at the Shrine Auditorium, um, I figured why not uh, get this October 15th, 76 show in there too, which has been a long time, been one of my favorites. And the reason I would classify it as also being underrated is in in this dead base poll, it came in number 15 for the year 1976. And for me, it's a top, undoubtedly a top five show from uh, from that year. Um, so, just a, a couple things about that show: it, it doesn't have any best ever versions or really contenders for best ever versions, but it might be the most consistent show where everything is like way above average, and just just the consistency and the the, the way they laid out the songs, the songs they chose. Uh, makes it such a great show. So it's kind of unusual in in that factor that a hot show didn't produce any great, you know, unbelievable over-the-top versions, but every song is on, 
and it would have made a great album. Um, I think the reason why this couldn't be considered uh, for either Dave's picks or Dick's picks is just a it's a soundboard audience mix. I don't think there's a clean soundboard of it, so that kind of ruined uh, the opportunity to make this a uh, uh, one of the official release picks. So October 1576, I mean, th- these shows... These shrine shows are coming on the heels of the Auckland Oakland Auditorium Day in the Green, uh, the ninth and the tenth. Two amazing shows. The ninth, obviously, being a, a fan favorite, um, that was released as a Dick's Picks. Uh, so we're in the Shrine Auditorium now. Just here's the difference between the Auditorium and the Shrine Exposition Hall. Uh, the Grateful Dead played the Shrine Auditorium twice in '76 and twice in '78, and that's it. They played the Shrine Expo Hall, which is uh, in the same venue. It's the room next door, a little bit smaller than the auditorium. The Grateful Dead played that 10 times between 1967 and 1968. And uh, Two from the Vault, the official Grateful Dead release, actually claims that's the Shrine Auditorium. And I had a double and triple and quadruple check this, but it's not the Shrine Auditorium. They played the Shrine Expo Hall that night, so the only four shows were actually played in the Shrine Auditorium itself, uh, January 10th and 11th of 78, and the 14th and 15th of October, 76. So the 76 show gets off to a, an amazing start with Might As Well, and at this point, we might as well go to the audio tape. A scintillating opener to kick the evening off in the Shrine Auditorium on October 15, 1976. Might as well. And that was a song uh, back when they played it in 76 and 77. It was a song you craved. I mean, I wasn't at seeing the Grateful Dead. It was a couple years before I started. But definitely a, a song you would be thrilled to see. They brought it back. Uh, at, they left after 77. They uh, took a break for Might as well. 
brought it back in 1981, and it primarily ended up as a set ender, but it wasn't the song it once was. Still a good song, but uh, the instrumentation was cut. You didn't get those uh, ending jams like that. And um, yeah, so the Shrine Auditorium, awesome, might as well to start, and then they go into Mama Tried. And at this, this Shrine show has a certain feel, a certain vibe, and sounds. I could pick it out of a police lineup. You give me seven different versions of Mama Tried, the next song uh, from whatever show you want. I'll pick the one out from the Shrine. There's just a certain sound they had on this night. And on, on certain great nights when, when you know the band just had everything going, they locked into a groove and it just, that, saw, that show would develop a unique sound. And this Shrine show definitely has that. And what, one of the characteristics of, uh, of the sound of this show is the Keith's playing. Whether I'm listening to, the, to an audience tape of this or a soundboard, Keith's playing is up top, so it must have been turned up in the mix. And he just had an awesome night. And another attachment I have to this Shrine show, it was, in my first dozen tapes, I had a great audience of this. So I've been uh, listening to the show for many years, a big-time favorite. And I'm not going to go into it. I want to go into the other show more because that's really the uh, concept of the underrated gem. Uh, but this first set, there's in, as the set progresses, there's just an incredible progression of songs. In the middle of a set, I think it's song seven, they play Bertha. Amazing version of Bertha. Very cool to hear it in the middle of the set. Followed by Lazy Lightning, Supplication. And then Sugary. I mean, just the, these are songs to die for put together in such a beautiful progression um, that's basically the power of the show the way they presented the songs and it's a, it's a hot sugary um, maybe not as good as the one a week before in Oakland but very good everything on this night is is just right on the singing the the playing uh, but nothing is like oh they, they have the x the x factor going but nothing's completely over the top at this show and the set ends with promised land the Grateful Dead step out for a set two and treat the Shrine Auditorium to a, a, a beautiful presentation of Eyes of the World and to Music Never Stopped. Neither version is, you know, outrageous, long solo or anything, but it's just so crisp, singing, playing, the, the tempo. It, it's beautiful as, as the segment Eyes of the World, Music Never Stopped. The segment is bigger than the individual songs itself. Um, yeah, so it's something I, I've always really enjoyed listening to, even though they aren't spectacular versions. Uh, set carries on. You got Must Have Been the Roses, beautiful singing uh, from Jerry. Uh, yeah, just another performance after performance here is just right on. Samson and Delilah, He's Gone. The Dead saved their best presentation of the night for After Drums with one of the the classic segments of uh, 1976, the other one, Into Comes a Time, segueing into Franklin's Tower, and then Sugar Mag to wrap it up. Starting with the other one, this, uh, this is probably, you know, it's not going to read as a greatest ever other one. The other ones are just, uh, it has to be insane to get into like best ever uh, contention for other one, but I think it's the best one I've heard from 1976. Especially the second solo, it kind of captures uh, that chaotic 69 energy with a little bit of the spaciness from 72, uh, but it's right on and you know they, they keep uh, jamming away until escaping through the, li the lily fields, I came across an empty space. 
but a, a good, long, well-played other one uh, into Comes a Time. And Comes a Time, such a great song. Ne- never never overplayed when it, when it, whenever it was in the rotation. It was never overplayed. Just the band, and especially Jerry, had to be in the right mood to deliver that one. And he, boy, was he into it on this night. Great singing, beautiful guitar solo in the middle. Uh, the band's kicking at the end of it. And Comes a Time is like one of those songs just always consistent whenever it's played. Have you ever heard a bad version of Comes a Time? Uh, yeah, so this is another great one. They really did justice to the song in 76 and 77. And then there's a nice nice outro. Once again, Keith is just chopping away. There was some, something about his playing on this night. So uh, so besides uh, the soloing, just very rhythmic, man. Very, you know, locking in with Weir and just uh, driving the rhythm on this night. And then they go from Comes a Time into Franklin's. I mean, what a tremendous combo. And just Grateful Dead originality, their their songwriting prowess on display. They go from Franklin's to Sugar Mag. Just imagine being in that auditorium, the joy you would feel going from Franklin's to Sugar Mag. An incredible segment to close it out. And they just laid it all on the line. No encore. See you later. That's a wrap. 10, 15, 78, 76, Shrine Auditorium. One of the top five shows of the year. Just Beautiful, authentic song presentation. Um, yeah, such a unusual and just the consistency and the quality of the playing all night that it never veered into spectacular, but it never dipped into mediocrity. Just a consistent, brilliant show. And I kind of wanted to go through that one quick because I have I want to play more from the upcoming show, January 11th, 78, which I think is it's definitely more underrated than that one. Uh, it could be underrated as any show out there. So on January 11th, 78, just to set the stage for you, um, they played in Golden Hall. I think that's where they played in San Diego the night, a couple nights before to start. They started the tour um, and Jerry had laryngitis. So um, they did a couple shows and uh, the shows in San Diego had no Garcia tunes. <laughs> Very unusual. They just played all weird tunes all night. And they're pretty hot shows, but not having the Jerry tunes in there, like definitely forget about Jerry singing. If if Weir could have sang, it would have been interesting to hear Weir back in the day sing it. These days, he's singing all the Jerry tunes, like like there's no tomorrow. But it would have been interesting to see him pinch hit for a Jerry tune in 78, but it didn't happen. He just stuck to to his tunes for, for those two nights while Jerry uh, recovered from laryngitis the first Shrine show, Jerry came back to singing. He sounded pretty good. And by this, the second night in the Shrine Auditorium, you could, you could barely tell he had laryngitis. Like if I wasn't telling you this and you were just hearing it out of the blue, you, you, you wouldn't think anything was wrong with his voice. So he's, he's definitely recovered. The only thing, I think the, the little battle with laryngitis, they made these shows a little bit shorter. Um, you know, the, the show is definitely... A little shorter than an average show from this period, but sometimes that as a listener, you're listening to to a show. It, it doesn't matter. Sometimes it's nice to hear a shorter show. When you're at the show, you want to catch everything you can. You know, you're you're in the yeah. Give me more Grateful Dead. I want you know five, seven songs before drums, six after double encore. But there, there's something nice listening to a tape, and when the band's just on, even if it's just two hours, a little bit of a shorter show. It works. 
So um, January 11th starts off with a Minglewood. You could tell they're on fire this night. Definitely a longer than usual Minglewood jam. Direwolf, Jerry singing, his voice sounding good, no problems. And this first set's rolling along. There's not a lot of great big jam songs here, but you could just tell the band's completely on. Uh, Looks Like Rain, Love Each Other. And then you hit Big River. And this one is a, it's a top-notch Big River. Uh, that definitely ranks up there. Top 10, best ever Big River. Uh, the band's really cooking. Uh, show's rolling along here. And, and when we get to the, the final song of the set, Let It Grow, this Let It Grow caught me by surprise. I, um, you know, you got the DeKalb version from October 29th, 77. Undoubtedly one of the best ones ever. And they played a great one in Colgate. And this one is cut from the same same cloth as those, man. It's just uh, Jerry's cooking, the band's cooking, smooth. But as they, as they build a jam, they get that sheer, shrill, ripping Garcia sound here. And this Let It Grow definitely has it. Uh, it's a top-notch Let It Grow, so I'm going to play you a nice little chunk from the Let It Grow, January 11th, 1978. This is a 14-minute version, and dig this. Monumental, Let It Grow, 10 the first set there. And just listening to the bands playing and Jerry's playing on that. So intense, yet it's logical, surgical, and lyrical. Uh, Just a Let It Grow all the way through. Awesome version, definitely would go into my top 10. And I just kind of found that one as I was listening to it on on this day in Grateful Dead history on January 11th. I I went to the... uh, to the tape, and I was like, wow, man, I've been missing out on this Let It Grow. Awesome version, definitely uh, up there. And by the way, um, this is obviously coming from New Paltz. If uh, the microphone picks up a snowplow or a snowblower, I live in a community of people, and it's snowing out right now, very beautiful. Great day for podcasting and listening to The Grateful Dead and staying indoors. Set two in the Shrine Auditorium. 
Uh, kicks off with a Terrapin Station triple shot, their recent album that had just come out in 77 over the summer. Setsu opens rough and rowdy with a blazing Samson and Delilah. Donna follows up with a beautiful version of Sunrise. And Sunrise often was like the precursor to a great segment. Um, I could quickly think of two occasions when that happened. Buffalo on May 9th, 77. Uh, when the, when they did Sunrise, one of the, the best music never stopped you'll ever hear follows. And then a week later in Alabama, once again, at the end of the first set, Donna performs Sunrise, and then the band just rips into a incredible Scarlet Fire attend the first set there, that Tuscaloosa show, so great. And um, so the Sunrise on... on this night in the Shrine Auditorium sets up one of the great segments of 1978, and that segment begins with Terrapin Station. As I mentioned earlier, uh, you could you can't tell that Jerry had laryngitis. As whatever resting he needed to do to get his voice back in shape, he sounds great here. Uh, great Terrapin Station all the way, but it's the refrain here that is just killer, man. Their they're playing is so intense on this night. So here it is, the Terrapin refrain. 111.78 Shrine Auditorium.
compass always points to Terrapin. Grateful Dead Thunder there. Just a, a jackhammer of her Terrapin station refrain. Awesome stuff. Great way to kick off a, a huge segment uh, on this night in the Shrine Auditorium. Uh, Terrapin Station neatly segues into playing in the band. And then they just go off the Grateful Dead for 13 minutes. Uh, kind of a an upbeat, spacey rock and roll playing in the band. And then it drifts off into what's been uh, tracked as just a jam, an- another seven minutes. They kind of leave the playing in the band uh, foundation, whatever that means, because playing in the band, it's a very loose foundation. Uh, this could have been called a 20-minute play in the band. But uh, yeah, the, the, the way that this is tracked here that I'm looking at, um, I, I'd agree with it. It's like about 13 minutes of playing in the band. And the next seven minutes, very spacey. Uh, almost close encounters like they did in, in Eugene, Oregon in a couple weeks. And, um, you know, so there's a little bit of drums, but they didn't go into a whole drum space thing. Once again, I think um, Jerry could have been recovering is a better word, not feeling under the weather. Um, they probably went through things a little quicker. Let's do a two-hour show, get off the stage so Jerry could rest up. Uh, so they do the uh, play-in into this almost close encounter space, and then they noodle their way into St. Stephen. And it's Jerry who takes the initiative there. The band's almost surprised, but they do a quick. They quickly catch on uh, to where Jerry's going, and they go into St. Stephen nicely. Uh, every the singing's perfect. Donna, Jerry, Bob, everyone's got. They, they get. They're totally on on this night. They got a great segment going, and the, the St. Stephen just hits a point where they're ready to take off for the jam. And I just don't know how this is not recognized as either the greatest St. Stephen or one of the top ones, but uh, hopefully this changes. <laughs> this is such a great St. Stephen. And as I'm gonna, as I'm doing with this show, I'm going to let the music speak for itself. Uh, so here is the one of the great St. Stephen jams you'll ever hear uh, from January 11th, 78. Another man's skill. 
I'm gonna tell you how it's gonna be. You gonna give your love to me. Yes, the Grateful Dead go into not fade away there, but what a St. Stephen. L O L. Laugh out loud, St. Stephen. Uh, the, just an awesome jam there. You can't stop Jerry on this night, and you wouldn't want to stop him if you could. Uh, just yeah, one of those one of those nights, man. So you got these incredible versions, which really make the show stand out. Let It Grow, Terrapin Station, and St. Stephen. So we go into the Not Fade Away, pretty good jam going, but they're not going to do a 77 thing where they're playing uh, 15 minutes Not Fade Away at this point. Uh, they have, the show's kind of winding down, uh, reaching the end. So Not Fade Away, after a nice healthy jam, kind of noodles into playing in the band. And it's so cool. I don't know if, I, I, I didn't look at the stats, but I don't know if they ever did that before, Not Fade Away, into a play and reprise. I, th- I think this is the only time. And it's just so cool the way that transpires and uh, the beautiful buildup back into the play and reprise and a great thunderous ending to this show in that segment. Uh, so once again, it was a Terrapin uh, playing in the band, Jam, St. Stephen, Not Fade Away, playing in the band. It was an incredible segment. And... They come back for the encore, and for me, this is just such a great encore, such a powerhouse of a song, Passenger. Very unusual encore. I don't know if they ever did in that slot before. Once again, I don't have the book in front of me to to look it up, but I don't think they've ever played a Passenger encore before. Maybe they did it once or twice, but um, a great version. Another cool thing about this version, um, two jams in it, two instrumentals. When they first broke Passenger out, it had one instrumental. It was almost like a, a lightweight, you know, rocking lightweight song tossed into the first set. The second instrumental and in Passenger made all the difference. More Jerry is always better. So you get, you get a second instrumental. Um, I think they just started doing that in 1978. And just a, a great encore. Passenger definitely has like, uh, some gravitas there. So it's, it's now like a powerful song as opposed to just being a lightweight tune. On this version, Donna almost takes over the lead vocals and she sounds pretty good on it. And while I'm talking about Passenger, if you want to hear the greatest Passenger I've ever heard, this one hands down is the best. You got to check out November 10th, 79, Passenger Ann Arbor. Unbelievable. Just uh, Brent's in the band at this point. I, I, I think Brent helped out on certain tunes, especially a, a song like Passenger. Uh, just Garcia goes off like six rounds on that uh, on, the, on the second jam of the Passenger. Uh, really, um, just incredible powerhouse version there. So Passenger on, Encore wraps it up. January 11th, 78, Volume 3. Definitely an underrated gem. Now it's time for the album of the week. And that album is Joe Henderson. So Near, So Far, Musings for Miles. This came out about two years after Miles' passing, and uh, it was 1993 came out. Joe Henderson, 
great tribute album, probably not as well-known as, well, definitely not as like Dwayne Shorter's and John Coltrane's, but definitely a, a jazz master. Um, along in his band here, uh, you got Dave Holland on bass, Al Forster on drums, John Schofield on guitar. You guys know John Schofield from playing with Phil. Just a, an incredible band, and that definitely led to the success of this uh, this project. They pull from mile, different Miles errors, different Miles albums, but the amazing thing is the unity here. This quartet just pulls it together, so it has a feel like almost like they created the music. It's obviously a tribute, man. It's like you know, there's no doubt about that. But kind of like the great, the Grateful Dead when they covered something, you would almost lose track of who where the music came from because it's their own original cover and this band just so unusual for like a, a group covering miles davis to pull it in like that and just make a unique album so it opens up with miles ahead from the uh, the album the eponymous album miles ahead from the 1950s with gil evans and all the orchestration one of my favorite miles albums and just the playing is so lyrical here just to hear Schofield's, you know, solo and the handoff to Joe Henderson. And Joe just does such respect to to the way Miles would have loved this, I think, because uh, there's beautiful spacing and, you know, just such tasteful, lyrical, lyrical playing. And uh, Dave Holland's bass is great on this. Quick little uh, Dave Holland uh, side story here. Dave Holland was my father's client. My father was an, an accountant and... Dave Holland, Jack DeJanet, the great drummer, Larry Coriel, the great jazz guitarist. They used to come to my father's house, get their taxes done. I had no idea who they were, but I thought they were cool as hell. I loved music. I was like, these guys are freaking cool. But I, you know, I wasn't into jazz at the time. My father wasn't sitting around listening to jazz albums either. So little did I know that I was just a couple years after they, they recorded Bitches Brew, they were in in my in my father's office and they would say hi to me they would autograph their albums i had no idea what was going on man just i wish i could go back in time and uh ask them all the questions about playing with miles and doing bitches brew uh but in getting back to uh joe henderson and this uh so near uh tribute so near so far uh the second song is joshua i believe that's from seven steps to from heaven uh which is a 1967 miles davis album such a great composition and Holland's bass is incredible on this. And this is really kind of like upbeat. You know, they, 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 they're paying total tribute to it, but they're taking it into a new realm. Just uh, this, this band is so tight, man. Al Foster played on some of uh, Miles' later albums and, you know, incredible stuff. You got flamenco sketches from uh, Kind of Blue. So they're, they're able to go from the pounding beat of Joshua into the very moody Kind of Blue Flamenco Sketches, Milestones from the same title, that title album. And the, the album closes with So Near, So Far. It's a ten, 10 songs on there. And uh, just what Henderson and, and company do, do with this, it's amazing. So it's 1993. I get this album. It's a, it's a tangible. I didn't get the album. I got the CD. I'm looking at it. It's just the fact that it was in my hand that I could see who played on it. That I, that I could read the, the song list. It, it made a difference, man. There was just something about having tangible music still available today. But um, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm totally digital now. It's just it's such ease to, to listening to music digitally. But you lose something because even when I'm listening to something on the radio, if I never heard it before, 
Um, I have no idea who's playing. I'm not reading the liner notes. I'm not looking at the album cover. There's something about it. you really get drawn in um, when, when you have the tangible album. And this was the dominant jazz album in my life for like a year or two. I listened to it so much, start to finish. So I highly recommend this one. Uh, even though they're jumping around in different eras, it does such justice to, to Miles Davis music. Guarantee you'll, you'll love it, man. Joe Henderson, so near, so far, musings for miles. And that wraps up this episode, episode three, season two of the Deadology podcast. I'm your host, Howard Weiner. My website, tangledupintunes.com. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Next week, we're going to Augusta, Augusta, Maine. 1984. I'm sure a lot of you listening out there were at that show, uh, Paris shows in 84. Incredible times. Looking forward to revisiting that. So see you next week. Peace out.